You are listening to a podcast from Influence Church. We hope it encourages and empowers you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Enjoy the message. It's happy Mother's Day to many of you, but we are aware it isn't easy for everybody. So we want to honor all women today. And so as you leave today, ladies, you're going to be given a gift. There's also in the foyer as you came in a little photo booth. You want to take photos with people. Pete's already posed with it, so he's done a good good job. Pete wants to be in as many photo shoots as he can today. Um, Good times. Um, If you've got your notebooks open or your phone to help you take notes, the title for this message is this fight like a Shunammite. I want to talk today about a bit of a fight. Um, But before we go into that, I want to talk to you about things that I had as a child that I loved. Anyone kind of got nostalgic memories? The other week there was like a thing that came on my Facebook that was like toys from the 80s and I was like, ah, I forgot how good toys were. It made me sound very old. I'm going to show you two things I got for Christmas one year that were just the best things ever. This is the first one. Anyone else get Mr. Frosty? Anyone ever get a drink that worked out of Mr. Frosty? Anyone ever make their fingers bleed through Mr. Frosty? The, the, the advert slightly oversells how easy it is, but that was a great present I really want. And then this is the other one that I got that I really wanted. This. I know, you're jealous. Anyone, anyone get one of those? Yeah, oh, look, a few of you, how blessed and highly favored. I was desperate. Home Bargains had them back in last year. I know, I wish I got one. I found out about that later when I was researching it. Um, here's the thing, I think I've wanted to be like a young Alan Sugar when I was like seven years old and like make a business out of it, out of like selling my chocolates to the family and making the Mr. Frosties on the side. But sadly, you end up spending more money on that chocolate machine than you ever make and it just didn't really work well. But I remember being desperate for it as a child because you'd see the adverts and you're impressionable and I just wanted those things so much. Nowadays, my wants are slightly different. If I was to be asked what would you want, any, you know, if you could have any gift, it would be the gift of beds that change themselves. Anyone else? There's the worst job that exists in a house. Or someone that tells me what's for dinner every day. Remember when you were a kid, or maybe of a different gender, that someone just tells you every day what you're having for tea, and you just took that for granted, you just came home and you were like, oh, this is what's for dinner today. That is the worst thing. Or if you're sus, that happens to her still. The worst thing, I've been an adult. But I want it, before we kind of get into the message today, I want you to think about what do you want from God? Bible says this in Matthew 7, from verse 7, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened for you. Which of you, if your son asks for a bread, will give him stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do unto others as you'd have them do to you. What are you asking God for? I want you to think for a second. Are you asking God for peace, for healing, for freedom, for the ability to sleep again, for wisdom and how to look after your children, for a salvation in your family? Maybe you prayed for a husband or a wife to get saved or your son or daughter to be in church, planted again. Maybe it's a financial breakthrough, maybe a job. 
Here's the issue. Sometimes we ask for a few weeks and then we kind of give up asking and we start trying to fix things on our own speed. We try and do things ourselves. I want to encourage you this morning to start to think, what is it that you want God to do for you? Father God, we just pray right now in this moment that Holy Spirit, you'd start to remind us of dreams we've had before. God, would you move on hearts and minds today to open up our ears to hear from you, for faith to rise, Jesus, exponentially. God, where faith has settled, where faith has stopped, where we've stopped believing that you can do things, God, we pray right now, would you expand our our earthly eyes, but also our heavenly eyes and our capacity to believe that you are the one who can bring. You are the one who can break through. You are the one that can bring change in the name of Jesus. Amen. So often we, we ask, and then we forget, and we start to settle. I want to talk about a lady in the Bible who was from a place called Shunamim. And um, she was someone who, when you looked at her, you'd think she had everything. She had a nice house. She had all the nice stuff. She had a husband who loved her. She was a good woman. She did good things in the community. Her house was tidy and clean and kind of Instagram ready. She had the right camels and donkeys and stuff. It was the olden days. Nowadays, she'd have like a Lexus or something. She had all the stuff that was good. And people would look at her and say, you have such a good life. And she did have a good life. She had a good husband. He loved her. She had all the right stuff. She didn't have the worries and the pressures that many of her friends had. But there was something she didn't have. She didn't have any children. And she tried all the stuff and she hoped that things would work. And month after month, she'd realize that yet again, she's not pregnant. And she'd ask God, and she'd ask God, and yet again, not pregnant. And then her sisters would start to have babies, and she'd watch as their stomachs grew, and then they had babies in their arms as her arms stayed empty. And month after month, she'd ask, year after year, she'd ask, and she'd see neighbors have children, and she'd, she'd see them grow up, and she'd attend birthday parties and baby shower type events, and she'd put a smile on her face and pretend that she was fine. But deep down, she asked God, why not me? She wanted to be a mom. And her friends would try and help by saying things like, well, you know, at least your house is tidy. But she would have given everything to have a messy house because a messy house meant there was people in it. She would have friends that would say, well, at least you can sleep through a full night. But she would give anything to be up in the night with a baby who wanted her to come for her. But she just, nothing happened. And then at some point, we don't know when, but at some point she decided that rather than being consumed with this, rather than thinking all the time and wishing and hoping and sitting and waiting, she decided maybe, maybe this is all that's going to happen. Maybe this is my life. And do you know what? It's a good life. And at some point, her perspective started to shift. And rather than always focusing on what she didn't have, she started to focus on what she did have. And what she had was pretty great. She had a husband who loved her. She had a house. She had an income. She had people's respect. She was an auntie to children. And maybe that was enough. Here's the thing sometimes. We get consumed with what we don't have. Have you ever noticed? Like that thing that you want. And in some ways, that's a good thing. We want to ask God. But sometimes we become so consumed, so overtaken by it. That's all we can see. And we forget to thank God for what we do have. Do you know that you're a blessed person? Like, you are a blessed person. And you can say, well, you don't know what I don't have. You don't know my financial situation. But let me tell you some facts about the world. 80% of the world live on less than $10 a day. That's for everything. Food, house, car. Almost half the world live on less than £2.50 a day. 
If you have more than 10 pounds in your bank account, you are blessed in this place. One in 10 people in the world do not have easy access to clean water. 121 million children have no access to school. Some of you elevated thinking they're quite lucky. But actually, if you ask them, they would say they're not lucky. 10.6 million children die before the age of five because of poverty-related diseases in 2013. 49.6 million people live as modern-day slaves in our world right now. When we start to look at stats like that, we start to think, I am a blessed person. You know, we're plugging uh, the trip to Cambodia, and I'd really encourage you. Can I encourage you, men especially? We've got a lot of women signed up. There's two men currently signed up. We'd love more men to go as well. There is something that happens to you when you see abject poverty in a different way. You start to see your life totally differently. Suddenly, things that bothered you don't matter quite the same. When you see kids that are having to find their food in lakes or catching them, the birds to eat because that's all they can have. When you start to meet people and they have stories like, one time to feed my family, we had to eat a nest of mice because it was that or nothing. You start to see things differently. I'd encourage you young adults to, to think about going. Now, I know young adults all think you have no money, but I promise you, you've probably got more money than most adult adults have because you don't have mortgages and rents and stuff to pay. But I encourage you, it changes your world perspective to go there and see something totally different that's out of your comfort zone. We are a blessed people. And so often what happens, we have a need, maybe a sickness, and it's good to present our request to God. Of course it is. But if we become so consumed and defined by that need, we miss out what God's already doing. And I love the story of this lady because she had a need, she had a want, she was desperate for it, but she wasn't defined by it. We have this issue in our world of a, like a growing case of greed because advertisements happen to us. And what they say is, your life will be better if your skin is a bit clearer. Your life will be better. You'll be enhanced if your car is newer. And then you get a new car and within a day, it's not new anymore because someone else has got a newer car than you. And so what happens is many of us are caught in this trap of comparison. I did Instagram and everyone else's perfect lives and what they all got for Mother's Day and how their families are being and how beautiful their children, how their children want to go to church. And you have to threaten your children to get them into church and all these things. And we get comparison and we get kind of dragged into this greed trap of I want more, want more, want more. And this lady at some point in her life decided... Yes, I want a child, but I am thankful for what I have. We need to be people that come with thankfulness to God for what he's already done. I was thinking the other day, this question, if God never did anything else for you, never answered any more prayers, would you still praise him? I mean, we can say yes, but when we're in the midst of need and we feel like God's quiet, what, how do we pray? Do we stop saying the thank yous? Do we just keep saying the, I need this? Sometimes we treat God more like a bank than the heavenly father that he is. Blessed doesn't mean perfect. There's all different needs in this church and in our lives, but it does mean we are blessed. And this lady, she made a decision at some point to be, if she, a choice that she had was, am I going to be a victim or a servant? Am I going to be a victim who's defined by this lack that I have that makes me an other than because I'm different to all the people that I'm around me because I feel like I'm less than? And in her tradition, it would mean all sorts of things that nowadays, praise the Lord, it doesn't mean. People would think in some way she's sinned or she's, she's unclean or something is wrong with her because she can't do what women should be able to do. That was what society pressure would say to her right then. And so she'd feel all these things. And yet she decided, I'm not going to be a victim I'm not going to live under this reality that is there right now. I'm going to choose to be a servant. 
I'm going to choose that even when things aren't perfect, I'm still going to serve. I'm still going to serve. I'm still going to show up. I'm still going to do things. I'm not defined by my lack. I'm serving anyway. In 2 Kings chapter 4, we start to read her story and we start to see how she starts to serve. One day, Elisha, who's the man of God, went to Shunaman and a well-to-do woman was there. That's her who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She had the gift of hospitality. No one told her to, but she saw him going backwards and forwards and thought, this guy, no one's feeding him. She was a mom without a child. And maybe today you're here and thinking, I, I, I don't have children. I don't belong almost in this place right now. But I want to encourage you, you can be a mother without actually giving birth physically yourself. She mothered him without actually having any sort of right to, any sort of responsibility, but she chose, I'm going to see a need right now. I'm going to fix the need. I'm going to do something about it. So whenever he came by, he'd stop there to eat. She said to her husband, I know this man. He comes often away. He's a holy man of God. So let's make a small room on the roof. She put in it a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp with him, and then he can come to stay whenever he wants. How brilliant is that? Like, the, it would be nice just to make the food for him. And I reckon she's an all-in woman. We read about that later. I reckon it wasn't just kind of an Asda microwave meal. I think she was like starter, main course, and pudding. Like, no Asda cheap cheesecake, but I mean the proper finest stuff from Tesco's. That's £4.50, the decent stuff. And she probably would have got the, the cheesecake out of the freezer in time, which I've done several times recently the opposite way, and had to say, would you like to wait three hours for it to frost, or do you like frozen strawberries on your cheesecake? She would be organized. She'd have proper schlur, not Lidl's version of schlur. She would have the good stuff. And then she's like, this isn't quite enough. I need to actually make a space for him to stay. And so I, I just wonder when she's clearing out that room, getting a lamp and a table. I love that the Bible is descriptive of that. It's not just a bed. She goes extra. I wonder if the room that she cleared out was the room she'd decided in her head. That's going to be my nursery one day. One day, I wonder if she'd stand there and think and pray and say, one day, God, would you give me a baby that will be in this room? Would you fill it with toys and cots and nappies and all this stuff? But she decided, I'm not going to wait. I'm not a victim. I'm a servant in this. And even though I don't have everything that I want, I'm going to give what I do have to you, God, to be used. And so she clears out this room and makes it nice. She goes to Dunelm. She gets proper bedding, the soft stuff. Doesn't have to wait till it's on sale. She goes, gets a nice stuff, puts a lamp in it, makes it nice. So when he comes here, he doesn't have to think. He doesn't have to work. He can just relax. I love that. And so she's there and she's making this. And then... There's something that happens when we start to release stuff to God. Many of us, we have stuff going on, and so we become a little bit, the Bible says, tight-fisted. We hold on to things. We start to control. When things are difficult, we start to control. My, my reaction to things being difficult is I do the washing. I've said this before. You know when things are bad in my house because the washing baskets are empty. Because I can control washing. I can't control anything else, but I can control everyone has clean socks. We will be okay no matter what happens because we'll have clean socks and t-shirts. And so we control. And so many of us, we control and we control and we control and we hold on to things like bitterness. Because that person hurt me and that person did that thing wrong to me. If you really knew what, what they'd done to me, if you knew what they'd said or what they meant or what they posted on Facebook, and we hold on to bitterness... Or we hold into hard-heartedness because really we've been here. We've done that. We've got the t-shirt. We've trusted God before and now we're in our 40s and still God hasn't answered. So we hold on to our hearts. We don't allow God to speak to our hearts. Or our finances. You know, because we're living in almost a recession. And so we've got to hold on to finances. We've got to hold on to it because we've got to make sure that we're okay. 
And really, when we're not tithing, when we're not giving, if we're mature Christians, what we're doing is saying, I'm going to control stuff. God does not need your finances. He's perfectly fine. He's not going to collapse. His kingdom's not relying on your £100 a month. We're okay. But what he wants is our heart. And really, it's a control thing. And I wonder if some of us in this season have decided that we were giving and now we're not giving because we can't afford to give. And so we've held back. We've taken control. And there's something powerful that happens when we release it and release control. And this woman did not hold back. She didn't wait for things to be sorted. She just said, I'm going to do what I can do. I'm going to make this room for him. Side note, one of the things that we're looking for in Richmond especially is some people who maybe won't make a room for someone, but we need some spaces for people in Workington and Penrith to stay over. So if you have a room uh, of any sort that's spare that you can let people know, then please come and see me and we'll fill it with Workington people. Anyway, uh, she would be the one that would be like, I'll have six staying in my house. She was a woman who was all in. And I love what happened next. This is what it says in the Bible, 2 Kings 4 verse 11. One day when Elijah came to his room and lay down there, he said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite. So he called to her and she stood before him. Elijah said, tell her, you've gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can we do for you? Can we speak on behalf of the king or the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my own people. You see, this woman had learned to be satisfied and recognized she was blessed. But Gehazi said, oh, but she has no son and her husband's old now. Elijah said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. Around this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, do not mislead your servant. This is a woman who had believed before. She believed and she prayed before. And sometimes what happens is we believe and we pray and we ask and then it doesn't happen. So we just think, I'm not going to ask anymore because if I keep asking, I'm going to keep getting rejected and hurt. But verse 17, but the woman became pregnant in the next year. But at the same time, she gave a birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. I love it. Elisha says, okay, what does she not have? And although her first response isn't, I want a baby, her first response is, I'm okay, I'm blessed. He, he recognizes she doesn't have a child. And I love this. Miracles often come after a movement. When you look in the Bible, what often happens is miracles happen, not when someone sat there with their arms folded and head bowed. Often what happens is there's a movement that happens and miracles come. Moses lifted his staff. Joshua walked around the walls. The Israelites stepped into the water. Abraham went for a walk with Isaac, his son. David ran to Goliath. The woman pushed through to get to Jesus. Paul set sail and went. There's a time absolutely to sit in God's presence. There's a time to sit and say, God, would you fill me? God, would you help me? God, would you speak to me? 100% we need to have that in our lives. We need to come into his presence for infilling. But there's also a time to get up off your bottom and go and do something. Don't just sit around waiting all the time. There's a saying that you've probably heard, and I think I talked to someone a while ago about someone said, is this in the Bible? The saying is, God doesn't help those who help themselves, or God helps those who help themselves. Anyone heard that saying? It's not in the Bible. Someone quoted it to me and I was like, that's not really biblical. What, it, what God does do is he helps those who depend and follow him. God is not looking for you to kind of get yourself out of it. What God's looking for you is to walk in faithfulness and obedience and, and wait for him to show up and do something. Look at this, these sorts of stories. Feeding the 5,000, a little boy, he gave his pat lunch and it fed thousands. A wedding at Cana where they ran out of wine, which was a huge sign of dishonor. And Jesus said, go and get some vessels. 
Elijah on the mountain in the middle of a drought poured water on the sacrifice. The widow's son, who was about to be taken, said, go and get pots. I read this quote the other day. It said this, before turning it into wine, Jesus sent them to get the water. Sometimes miracles come on the other side of ordinary obedience. Sometimes miracles come on the other side of ordinary obedience. We're waiting for God to move, and God's saying, I'm ready, but you've got to make a move first. You've got to do something. You've got to step. You've got to trust me. Because when we start to step, what we're saying to God is, I trust you. I don't understand it. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to step. I'm going to believe in faith. I'm going to keep stepping. I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to keep asking. I'm going to keep believing. And I'm going to keep walking and trusting him. We wait for this kind of moment to happen. And God is interested in the moment, but he's more interested in the process sometimes. One of the best presents I ever got was from Asher. Um, he went on a school trip to Poland when he was in like year nine or ten. And um, he came back and kind of sat us all down ready for our presents and, and bought Ben and Noah various things. And then gave me like a bag that was like a pretty bag. And I was like, this is not... Now, Asher's not the one who's usually kind of um, thoughtful, shall we say. <laughs> I have had a FaceTime with him this morning about football and there was no mention of the Mother's Day part. But we'll let it go. Because he's serving Jesus. And at some point he'll see on Instagram and remember. Anyway, um, but he, <laughs> or I'll get a present when he comes home. Um, but he, he gave me this present and like looked at me all like, and I was like, this is a fancy bag. And I honestly thought he's bought me a bag, like a fancy bag. And that's fine. I like fancy bags. But he's like, look inside. And inside was the most beautiful, cute silver bracelet that I've ever seen. I've never worn it because it's so precious. I don't want to break it. So it's just in my drawer. And I said, where? Do, this is so nice. And he's like, yes. And there's a story. And I said, what's the story? And he said this whole thing about he wanted to get me something really nice that was extra. So he went to the shop that turned out to be an engagement ring shop. And all his friends mocked him for it. But he was like, but I wanted to get you something nice. So even though they all mocked me and called me all sorts of names that I can't repeat on church stage. I went there and I stood there and it was so embarrassing. And then they said, did I want to, to get it gift wrapped? And I thought that would be free. So I said yes. And that was even more money than the bracelet was and, and all this stuff. And to me, it's special, not just because the bracelet, but because of the story around it, the cost it was. And sometimes we're waiting for God to do this kind of moment, but God said, hey, in the process, this is important too. The process leading up to the moment is important too. That's where we start to grow stamina. That's where we start to trust him more. Romans 5 verse 4 to 6 says, endurance produces character and character produces hope. Now this hope that does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out to our hearts by the Holy Spirit's given to us. Endurance produces character. In a few weeks' time, Pastors Dan and Pastor Hannah are going to run a marathon. Uh, I didn't really know how far that was until I've really thought about it. It's to Darlington and back. Um, that seems like a ridiculous thing to do to me. Um, and I'm sorry if you like to run, but that's just too far. Um, it's far too far. We have cars for that sort of thing. Um, and so talking to them about it, it makes me feel a little bit bad. So I don't talk to them too much about it because I would die if I ran to the Morrisons next door. But they're like, here's the thing. They're training. Like the other day, did you see Hannah Hoyle just run to Durham? I'm like, to Durham? That's so far. But they're not just going to get up for the day of the marathon and just be like, right, here we go. 26 miles, just start running. Because they wouldn't get a mile. They would be on the floor needing paramedics with me who wouldn't have got a mile. Um, they're training and there's endurance and there's training that's happening, taking place. Sometimes we're not getting the answers that we want instantly because God is in the process of training us to handle it. 
when they get to the 26 miles, which is so far. And I have so many questions about what happens if various things are needed to happen during this. And I don't want to answer questions to you, but I just think about in the middle of the night when I can't sleep of, so, Darlington and back, it's so far. But they're not just doing instant. They're training. They're, they're getting ready to carry the, the pace that they need. And sometimes God is allowing us to wait because he's training us to handle the miracle. And we're like, we want it now. We want it now. We want it now. And God's like, whoa, 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 hold your horses. Keep being faithful. Keep trusting. Keep walking. And wait to see what happens. And so this lady has this baby. And it's amazing. And for five, maybe six years, everything is good. She's living her dream. She's waking up in the night because the baby's waking up. And maybe some of the time she'd regret all those things, times she wished that she didn't have to sleep because she was missing sleep. And, and she's living in a house that's got chaos again and all this stuff. And then verse 18, it says this, the child grew. One day he went out to his father who was with the reapers. He said to his father, my head, my head. His father told a servant, carry him to his mother. And Bible scholars would say that he maybe had extreme heat stroke or something like that, or maybe had a stroke. After his servant lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on his lap until noon, and then he died. What do you do when you feel like the answer that God gave you literally dies in your arms? Like this is not a, oh, this is a nice story. It's taking a turn. But she's a woman who's all in. And so I love what she does next. Verse um, 21, she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door and went out. Now her tradition would dictate what happens when there's a dead body is you're instantly unclean because you've touched it. So she should have had a ritual washing ceremony that took place. They should have called in the official mourners. That was people's jobs to come and mourn the dead. She should have worn certain clothes. She should have put him in a certain place. There was all sorts of stuff that should have happened. But she wasn't preparing him for burial. She was preparing him for resurrection. She decided, oh, okay, everything in me right now looks like this is dead. Looks like he stopped breathing. But she decided, I'm not taking this right now. I'm deciding that it's not over. It may look over, but I'm deciding this is not over. This is not the end. There is a change going to happen. And so she takes him, puts him on the bed, and then she shuts the door. And I love what happens next. She is a woman after my own heart. She called to her husband and said, please send one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly in return. Why go to him today, he asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. He has no idea what's happened. Why doesn't she tell him? I think it's because right now she doesn't need anyone's opinion. She's got a word from God. God had said that she's having a son. And he, she knew God wanted to know this isn't a half measure. God is not a God of half measure. If he said, I'm having a son, I'm having a son. She didn't need her husband's emotions. She didn't need his opinions. She just said, I need the donkey. All right, she said. Then she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead me on, don't slow down for me unless I tell you. 15 miles she had to go. So she set out, came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When he saw a distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, look, there's the Shunammite. Run to her, meet her, and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything's all right, she said. I mean, it's not. It's clearly not all right. Your child's dead on a bed. But she's like, no. 
Again, I do not need anyone's opinions in this moment. I need to get as close as I possibly can to God because this child came from God and God's the one that's going to bring him back to me. And sometimes we are so quick to defer to other people rather than God, so quick to ask opinions, so quick to ask other people's prayers even. And we need to learn to go to God, not to other people. We don't live in a society where people need to step in for God. She did. She couldn't get to God. There was no way she could get to the Holy of Holies. He, Elijah, and Elisha was as close as she could get. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came to push her away. I love that. And sometimes things and people try and push you away and say, no, no, you don't need to be here right now. And she was like, get off me. Leave her alone. She's in bitter distress. But the Lord has hidden from me. Why? And not told me. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? She said. Because remember, she didn't ask him. Gehazi, the servant, was the one who pointed out. She said, I'm fine. She said, didn't I tell you not to raise my hopes? She knew that this was a promise from God. She'd not even gone begging. She'd not manufactured this herself. This child was miraculous. And so it was God's child and God's responsibility. Elisha said to Gehazi, I took your cloak into your belt. Take my staff in your hands and run. Don't greet anyone you meet. If anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. I mean, she's like, no, no, not half measures. No way. I don't need it by proxy. I need God. So he got up and followed her. Gehazi went ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face. There was no sign of response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him, the boy's not awakened. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy laying dead on the couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Sometimes you need to shut the door on other people. When you're asking for a miracle, you don't need people's opinions. You need to shut the door out from other people. Because some people will not believe what God has said to you. If God said it to you, it's between you and God. You need a couple of people who you know are going to be faith-filled, who are not going to try and talk you out of it, but actually who are sensible, who can hear from God and be with you. You don't need the crowd sometimes. You need a person with God. Then he got on his bed. This is weird. There's no way around this. This is weird. Lays on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eye. It's weird. Hands to hand and stretch him out the, uh, as the boy's body grew warm. Elisha took turned away and walked back and forth in the room, then got on the bed, stretched out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. And he did. And when she came, he said, take your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowed to the ground. She took her son and went out. This is a woman who decided, I'm not having a halfway miracle. It's from God and so God gets involved. And sometimes what starts to happen is life happens, life gets in, and what it does to us is it starts to kind of reduce our faith, if you like. Some of you, I really felt as I was preparing this, have lost your fight. You've accepted stuff as the way it is. The Bible says clearly it was for freedom that Christ set you free. If you're not free, then you have every right to go back to God and say, hey God, you said it. And so I'm going to keep believing it. I'm going to keep asking for it. I'm going to keep turning up. I'm going to keep asking you. I'm going to lay on my knees sometimes and say, God, come on. I need you to do that. I'm not going to be defined by this, but God, you promised me. You said it. And so I'm going to do I don't need a miracle that's half-hearted. I don't need something for five years. I need a proper miracle. I need a breakthrough. She knew this was from God. This was a word spoken from God, gifted to her. And so she was waiting for the breakthrough. I love that she prepared him for resurrection, not for death. She made a decision in that moment. I wonder how the 15 miles went for her. Can you imagine? That's a long way on a donkey. I've been on a donkey before. They're not fast. She's walking 15 miles. It's at least an hour and a half's journey to get to the Elijah. 
She's walking on this donkey, and I, and I reckon there's an internal monologue going on. They're going to think you're crazy. They're going to think you're absolutely crazy. Your child has just died. You should be with him. What are you doing? I think there's all this stuff, but in her, the, her faith is rising. And she's like, I am not standing for this. This is not okay. God gave him to me through that man, and so God can bring him back to me. This is just looks like he's dead, but it's asleep. He's not dead. And as I started to prepare this message and started to think about this woman uh, and this title of Fight Like a Shunammite, I started to think, what would that look like? And so I asked Grace, who is a bit of a fighter, to come in and, uh, and have a photo of what I would imagine fighting like a Shunammite would be like. Okay, this is it. Are you ready? Okay. <laughs> this is Grace facing, fighting like a Shunammite after doing a whole long shift of being a policewoman. Here's the first thing. She's in a church t-shirt. I reckon this woman didn't stop serving. And sometimes we are waiting for a miracle with our arms folded and our legs crossed and saying, come on, God. And God said, no, you come up. I've already done a lot, but let's start walking in the provision that God's given you. Let's start believing. Let's start going again. Let's start believing and start walking again. Don't hold back. Don't hold back and wait. She's not defined or defeated by this. The enemy wants you kept small and hidden and insecure and feeling like, I can't because I'm not this. But when we look at the Bible time and time and time again, God is using the unlikely people. When you look at how he, he used the disciples, all of them could give you a manifesto of all the reasons why they should be excluded. None of them were good enough. Most of them would not have made our welcome team. Never mind starting the early church. And yet God is not interested in what you don't have. He's interested in your heart to say, okay, I'm not perfect. I haven't got everything that I need, but God, use me. I'll trust you to use me. And so I love that she was allowed herself to be used by God. On the other hand is thankfulness. There's a list of, you put the photo back on, Johnny. Uh, a list of thankfulness. I think that when she was there, when she was, when she was facing Elijah, when she was waiting for her miracle, I reckon she did it with thankfulness in her hands. And whenever we come into God's presence, whenever we wake up, whenever we're asking God, we need to have thankfulness. Because it's a, it's a platform, if you like, for the next thing, for the next thing to be done. But remember what God has done. If he's done it before, he can do it again. And then she's there with her axe. Some of you remember my axe from before. Uh, she's there with an axe. Uh, and axes, what they do is they clear the way. They make a way where there's no way. And some of you need to get swinging your axes again. And when you swing your axe, your arms get tired. And some of you are feeling, but I'm too tired. I've believed and I've trusted and I've asked for a job or I've asked for a healing. But you stopped fighting because you've done it a few times and it's just too hard. We need to allow God to help us fight. There's a moment that happens, band, if you want to come to stage. There's a moment that, that happens in, um, in labor called transition. And any of you who've given birth in, in a natural way, you maybe would remember this. There's a moment often when women start to say, I, um, I can't do this. I remember very clearly when I was having Noah saying to Ben, I've changed my mind, I want to go home. Anyone else remember that moment? Oh, just me. Uh, you just start to say, I, I, I don't want to do this. I got it wrong. I can't do it. And you start to panic a little bit. You start to think there's, there's just no way I can't do it. And what's actually happening is your body's getting ready to give birth to something or someone. Someone, you're not something. <laughs> Usually a person. Um, and you start to, your body starts to physically change. I won't give you the details of what's happened to your body at that moment, but it's, 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 it's something. Uh, but what you feel like in your emotions is, I can't do it. You feel like this is impossible. This is getting worse. I can't possibly do it. And sometimes 
in the presence of God, when there's a breakthrough coming, what happens to you in the natural is you start to have the same feelings. We've seen it before. I can't do this. This is too hard. And you start to almost panic about, I can't, I can't, I can't. And you start to withdraw and want to hold back. But I love this lady. Everything in the natural is like, go home and be with your son. And she's like, no, no, I'm a fighter. And some of us need to get our fight back. Some of us need to stand on what God has said to us. Not defined by the circumstance. Not defined by what we see with our natural. But defined by what God has said. He has spoken a better word over you. He has given you a different word. We need to stand on what he said. And some of you have decided that you've taken yourself out of the race because something happened. Some of you have decided, there's a microphone here. Some of you have decided that, you've just, that it's just too hard, that you've tried it before, that you've been there before, but it's just too difficult. I want to encourage you today, get your axe ready. Axes literally clear paths. They make ways. They get rid of obstacles. And some of us need to fight again. Stop being defined by the lack and start fighting for the word that God's given you. If he's spoken it, it's his responsibility to do it. If he gave you that kid that you're feeling right now, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to parent this kid. Sometimes I go back to God and say, look, they're yours. You tell me. I've never had this child before. He's yours. You tell me how to believe. You tell me how to parent. You tell me when to speak and when not to speak. Sometimes when it comes to our finances, we need to go back and say, hey, God, I've been faithful. So come on, where's the breakthrough? God, I'm believing for a breakthrough. I'm believing for a change that would take place. Do I need to do something? Do I need to change my own way of doing something? Or, or is it a financial breakthrough that you're going to bring miraculously? We start, need to start asking the questions again. And this woman, this brilliant woman who fought like a Shunammite, church shisha, acts, thankfulness, she got her victory. This incredible victory. If she just accepted it, then that would be the end of her story. And some of us have decided, oh, my story's done. I've been there, I've done that. I was in a worship team 20 years ago. My time's done, I'm too old. I always wanted to go on mission, but now I'm too old, I can't do it, or I just, I'm too busy. And you know deep down something's stirring in you. Some of you have been ill for a long time, and it's become just part of who you are. It's as, it's as normal to you as the hands on you at the end of your arms. It's just who I am. And you've stopped even asking God. You've stopped expecting God. You've stopped responding. Every time there's a, prayer, a call to prayer, you've, you've stopped coming because you just think it's too hard to keep hoping. I'm just going to accept it. But it's time to fight again. It's not the end of her story because this woman's not done. Chapter 8. Elijah said to the woman whose son was restored to life, this is years later, go away with your family and stay for a while wherever you can because the Lord's decreed a family in the land and will last seven years. The woman proceeded to do as the man said. She, let, she and her family went away and stayed in the land of the Philistines for seven years. Years later, God gives the prophet a word and says there's going to be a famine. And I love that one of the only people named there is her. He goes to her and says, okay, you need to go. And as he's saying it, it made no sense because she was a wealthy woman, remember? It's likely, Bible scholars would say, that by this point she's a widow. We know that her husband was old, and the fact that she, the, the prophet's talking to her and not her husband probably indicates that by now she's a widow with a son. So she's gone through some stuff again. Life's not been hunky-dory. And just because you've had a word from God doesn't mean everything's easy. Doesn't mean that every, nothing bad's ever going to happen to you. I wish it did, but that happens when we get to heaven. But right now we live in a fallen world. So Elijah comes and says, okay, you need to go. And I love her faith. She must have been like, 
are you, are you crazy? Like, the, we've got food. We've got a farm. But he's like, no, no, you need to go. And so she's obedient. She gets her son and she's like, okay, we're off. We're going to go and live with people who are not our people. We're going to live in a land that's foreign to us. And that's not the end of the story. Because verse 5 says this. Just as Gehazi was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, the woman whose son Elisha had brought back to life came to appeal to the king for her house and land. Gehazi said, this is the woman, my lord, the king. This is her son who Elisha restored to life. The king said to the woman, uh, asked the woman about it and she told him. Then he assigned an official to her case and said to him, give back everything that belonged to her, including the income of the land the day she left the country until now. I love this. So she's had her seven years. That's what God said. She's back. And by this point, the king had taken her land and been making money off it. And so what does she do? Does she decide, I'm going to keep small and humble? I'm going to stay away? No. She marches into the palace. She's like, now come on. I've done what God said, and my, my farm's gone, and now I've got no money. So she's like, right, I'm going to see the king. She had no business being with a king. She was a woman. She was not royal. She didn't have any access to him, but I love the idea. She just, I reckon she's like with the guards, and they're like, you can't go in there. And she's like, you try and stop me. And some of us need to have that mentality with God. We need to be like, no, no, you, you, all these fears, insecurity, you try and stop me. You try and get in. You may feel like I've got no right to ask God because I've messed up, but you need to say to these things, these feelings, these insecurities, these people sometimes, you don't know. You don't know who I am. She's like, I'm the woman whose son was raised to life. Who do you think you are? And she walks into that thing, just strolls in, and she's like, King, I need my stuff back. At that point, she could have been beheaded. She had no right, but she's like, I don't care what people's opinions are anymore. She's lived through some stuff. She's got some scars, but she's also got some faith. And she's like, I am the daughter of the king. You think you're the king? You should meet my dad because he's God. And he's already done the miraculous that no one else thought was possible. And so he's done it once, he's going to do it again. You've been healed once, you're going to get healed again. You've believed once, you're going to believe again. You've had your husband in church once, you're going to believe he's back in again. You've had that breakthrough with your child, that's just the start of it. We're going to believe for even more. Some of us need to start fighting again, start swinging our axes, start believing again, start getting the kind of righteous indignation that that woman had of, you don't tell me I can't get in that palace. You may think I'm just a woman, but I'm a woman on a mission. And so I'm going to get in there, I'm going to swing my axe, and I'm going to get my stuff back. And I love the king, he's like, okay, give her stuff back. And um, also give her all the profit that we've made, and uh, yeah, let's just keep her quiet. We need to be the sort of people who are almost making the enemy shake. Some of you have allowed the enemy to take things. Some of it's your voice, some of it's your confidence or your health. And we need to start fighting and saying, God, I'm not being silenced anymore. I'm coming back fighting. I'm coming back swinging. I'm coming back believing. I'm not living under anxiety. My natural feeling may be that I'm anxious. My natural feeling may be that I'm scared. My natural instinct may be to keep quiet and keep away. But God, I don't live by the natural. I live by the supernatural. And God says it was for freedom that Christ set me from. So I'm going to believe again. I'm going to start asking again. I'm going to start swinging. I'm going to start fighting again. Some of you need to get your fight back. You've allowed stuff to happen that has taken away your fight. Get your fight back. However that means, whether it means you start praying again, you start fasting and you start believing again, you get one or two people around you and say, hey, come on, I need prayer together. We're going to believe that something is going to shift in the heavenlies so it can affect my earthy being.
we're going to pray. We're going to pray that some fight comes back to some people. We're going to banish acceptance of things that are not ours to be accepted. I love this woman's faith and tenacity. She had no place being there, but she couldn't care less because she knew I'm loved by God. So jog on, king. You're just a king with a crown. But I've got a God who raised my child. And when that sort of thing's happened, it starts to change how you see things. And some of us need a change of perspective. Father God, I pray right now for anyone who's here who recognizes that they've stopped fighting, who recognizes that in some way they've been silenced by your enemy. God, I pray right now for faith to rise, for faith to rise and not accept what, what has been spoken over them. In the name of Jesus, I pray right now for resilience to rise up, for almost an anger against what's happened to rise up, to say, I am not accepting this anymore. This, it was for freedom that Christ set me free, no longer to be subject to the yoke of slavery. God, you paid a high price for us to enter this freedom. So right now, God, I pray freedom over this place. With eyes closed in this place, if you are in this room and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, perhaps you know about him, but you know you're not right with God, you're not in a relationship with him, and you know you need to. If that's you and you know you want to be in a relationship with Jesus, could you raise your hand right now? We're not going to ask you to do anything weird. We're just going to acknowledge that you've raised your hand. There's only three of us looking. And then later on, give you a Bible to help you on that journey. If that's you, if you know you need to be right with God, could you raise your hand where you are right now? Amazing. Okay, the rest of us, we're going to worship again. And as we worship, I think some of us need to respond to this and start to say, God, I need to, I need to get my fight back. I have allowed circumstance, and it's, it's a decent circumstance, it's a rightful circumstance, it may be a, a diagnosis from a doctor, it may be, um, it may be a, a feeling or a bank balance, they're not untrue, the, the boy was dead, like he stopped breathing, this is a pretty reasonable thing to believe. But we have a God who sees beyond our circumstance. A God who is higher, who speaks a better word. Some of us need to come back under his word and get our fight back. So we're going to worship together. And if that's you, if you know I need to respond to this, just as a sign to God that you're ready to fight again. I'd love you to come forward. Ministry team, we're going to uh, come and pray for people just really quickly. We want to finish the next five minutes or so. And then at the end, there'll be a team over here ready to pray as well. But right up we stand right now, we're going to worship again. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Influence Church. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Influence Church, empowering you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God.